From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While it's still technically winter, it certainly starts to feel like spring with weekends like the one upcoming in Gainesville, when both basketball squads, baseball, softball, and lacrosse are all in action on campus at the same time. On today's show, we'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter to discuss men's basketball on the wrong side of the bubble, the new frontrunner status enjoyed by women's hoops, the youngest baseball team on record, softball's slugging start, and a wide-ranging chat about the controversies ensnaring the Olympics in the PAT. Then, Jeff Cardozo catches up with head coach Kevin O'Sullivan to preview a baseball season filled with both promise and an incredible amount of youth. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is time for our Gator Roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Uh, gentlemen, a lot to discuss today. Let's start with basketball. And first, Chris, on the men's side, that's what we saw most recently on Tuesday night at Texas A&M. Uh, we talked last week, Florida obviously in a, a bubble position. They started the day against A&M on the outside looking in, according to Joe and Artie. Uh, unfortunately, did not do anything in College Station to get them in a better position. And now are really looking at some games that are going to be very difficult to win, that they're going to have to win some of these they're not supposed to win to reasonably have a case for the, the tournament committee. Yeah, and to spin it forward, like you said about winning games that they're not supposed to, they, they played a game uh, before Texas A&M that we hadn't talked about, and they weren't supposed to win that one, and they didn't, and they didn't come close. They lost by 22 points, 21 points, I believe. It was uh, 78-57 at Kentucky, fifth-ranked Kentucky at the time. The worst loss to a Kentucky team since uh, Billy Donovan's first NCAA tournament team. Actually, um, it was it was a game that was close, um, kind of close at halftime. But Tyree Appleby had gotten hurt. He tried to go. He probably shouldn't have tried to go. He was out there at the beginning of the of the of the second half, and that's when the Cats went on one of those cat runs, rough runs, I call them. And Kentucky just smashed them uh, the rest of the way. Really, really good Kentucky team. No shame in losing to this Kentucky team, to be sure, or really a Kentucky team ever. But go to Texas A and M. Um, Texas A&M's a, probably better than than their record indicates, but they but you, Bill Parcells says you are what your record are, or you you are what your record says you are, and their record said they'd lost eight eight straight SEC games, and they came out kind of whacked Florida in the face a little bit. Um, Florida was atrocious offensively in the first half. Um, I believe shot twenty one percent in that first half. Uh, they had six points through the first uh, nearly 13 minutes of the game um, before rallying to make it a close game, or excuse me, a uh, seven-point game at the half. Then, of course, took the lead, had a 15-2 to run, you know, inside eight minutes left in the game to take the lead. 
and had a four-point lead with 90 seconds to go, and A&M scored the last five points. And, you know, point fingers all you want at what happened, the lack of uh, – you shoot when you shoot 29% for a game, that's season low. Uh, you're probably not going to win, yet they had a chance to win. Fouling a three-point shooter with 19 seconds left uh, in a two-point game, that's a no-no. The, on that same possession, the Gators had a rebound in their hands uh, after a missed shot. But Myron Jones took a spill into the floor. Bodies converged like seagulls on a French fry on the boardwalk. And <laughs> next thing you know, it's a, ju- it's a jump ball, Aggies ball. They get that other chance, and they get the uh, three free throw opportunity. What's funny is this, it just wasn't in the cards, man. And maybe just this it's, – it's so typical of what this season has become because – A&M was a 66% uh, free throw shooting team, one of the worst in the league, and they went 60 for 16 wow. uh, against Florida, um, including obviously those last three with 19.6 seconds left. Florida had a chance to to hit a game winner down one. Um, it just took too long to get into the offense, I thought. Um, uh, just uh, Flanders Fleming had a good look, but uh, you want to get that ball up probably with five seconds left, so maybe you got a chance at an offensive rebound or put back some kind of freaky kind of play the kind that usually happens late but um they're in a, they're they're in a difficult situation now adam they're 16 and 10 they're uh they're they're six and seven in southeastern conference play uh believe it or not as bad as a&m's uh, uh run was with eight eight consecutive losses that would have been a quadrant one win hmm. um their their metrics are decent they were they were 71st and if you play a top 75 team on the road that's a quadrant one opportunity so uh, right now, Florida's one and seven in Q1s, a little better in Q2s. They have that uh, Q4 matzo ball hanging over their head from Texas Southern that will, you know, be a deterrent for the postseason resume or whatever. But going back to your original point, right now it's, it's the next two games. You know, I don't see a path to the NCAA tournament unless Florida either beats Auburn at home or Kentucky at home in the regular season finale. And along the way, in addition to getting one of those two, they got to beat Arkansas next week at home. Arkansas just beat Auburn last week. They're not an unbeatable team, but that's going to be a tall order also. They're they're a really good team. And then you just have to assume, rolling up in this ball also, they got to beat Georgia and Vanderbilt on the road. And there's nothing to suggest that anything is automatic about a a road trip for this Florida team right now. Uh, both those teams play very, very well at home, much better home than they do on the road. And Florida or Georgia just came here last week and uh, gave uh, Florida uh, something of a scare, despite having won just one game in the SEC. So um, it's not lining up very optimistically. And this is what the Gators have right now. And their backs are against the wall. And that's never a good place to be when you're talking about a bubble situation. So yeah, there's no real way to sugarcoat it, Chris. I mean, the men's team is not in a good position. On the flip side of that, Scott, the women's team continues defying the odds, expectations. Uh, We talked last week, they had two road games that were going to be tough because it's always tough on the road. They found ways to win both of them. They are now squarely in the top four of the SEC. And if you look at the way that the rest of the league shakes out, it's very likely they will finish top four, which includes that double bye to Friday in the SEC tournament. Um, But 
but big picture, they just keep rolling. They just keep winning. And it seems like so many people are just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Maybe the other shoe isn't going to drop. Maybe this, maybe this team is as good as they appear to be as much as that changes the narrative of recent years when it comes to, to the women's basketball team. Yeah, I mean, 19 wins in 25 games, Adam. That's a pretty good sample size. So I, I don't think this team's a fluke by any stretch. And yeah, they went on on the road at Mississippi State and then at Auburn in games where you know they were getting a lot of uh, attention, not only locally but nationally. I mean, there's you know Kelly Ray Finley is suddenly uh, one of those coaches that are you know being nominated for National Coach of the Week awards and stuff like that. And they had to go out there and kind of uh, how are they going to play as not necessarily the underdog, you know, with people knowing what they're about. I thought they responded in both games uh, nicely, you know, getting wins. Uh, you know, it was a, a combination effort. You know, Kiki Smith had her usual steady game, but whether it was Zippy Broughton, Jordan Merritt, it's a different player. It's really stepping up in a lot of these games. And that just shows you kind of that this is a team that they're counting on contributions from nine or 10 players per game. And uh, a lot of, a lot of things are going right, and uh, 19 and six have won six and six SEC road games for the first time in 21 years. Adam, they're undefeated on the road in the SEC. Yeah, I mean they're becoming a really good story, not just one of the best stories on campus right now, but as I said earlier, they're getting a lot of national attention in the latest projections. I think they're a number seven seed if you if you follow the bracketology on ESPN.com. I think they've got them slated for the Ann Arbor Regional playing number 10 seed DePaul in the first round. So uh, we haven't talked about the Gators in this light in a long time, guys. and uh, It's kind of fun to see what they're doing. And, and now they're coming back home uh, Thursday night, and it's a chance to, uh, you know, two home games left. So if you haven't seen them, uh, you're running out of options, at least in the regular season at the O'Connell Center. So uh, they're fun. They play up-tempo. They play hard. That's the biggest thing I see the difference in this team. I mean, they play hard from start to finish. To Scott's point, he said that how made note of how fast they play. They really share the basketball too. That ball pops mm-hmm. around and it's a, uh, it, it's equal opportunity around the horn. And, and, you know, obviously Kiki Smith is the, is the head of the snake in that regard, but in Kiki and, and Zippy Broughton, who he mentioned and, and Nina Ricard, you got three girls that can get to the bucket and finish and you got Jordan Merritt on the outside. I think she's making like 39% of her three-pointers in SEC play. Um, they, they can beat you in a, in a lot of different ways. But, to, again, to Scott's point, the way they beat you usually is just by playing harder and faster and, and making, making more plays. And I've been really impressed, uh, obviously. But you watch Kelly, Kelly uh, Ray on the sidelines. I mean, she's always smiling. And something goes wrong on the on the court. You you don't you don't see her like like uh, bemoaning something as much as you see her coaching what seems to be positivity. And I whatever it is, she's got the pulse of this particular basketball team. And, um, <laughs> and obviously, there hadn't been a season like this uh, on the on the women's side of the basketball facility in a, in a long time. And as someone who's in there a lot, it's kind of cool to see them bouncing around and see them as happy as they are uh, all the time. Both basketball teams have been underway for quite some time. Uh, We are into mid-February, and that means it is also time for softball and for baseball. Uh, Great start for softball. They they play kind of that same opening stretch every year down in Tampa. They always play Michigan. They always play USF. They mix in a few others. They went undefeated down there. Uh, Baseball, another 
high expectations for baseball as they start their season coming up uh, at Florida Ballpark. And what I, I hope, Scott, is a way that uh, that a full crowd can experience that stadium on opening weekend. Last year, didn't quite have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I know they're hoping for a, a big crowd. I think there's going to be one on Friday night when they open it up against Liberty. You know, it, last year it was unfortunate that you had those COVID restrictions and when they opened the new ballpark. And I, I'm sure there's still a lot. Of, I know there's a lot of Gator fans out there who have yet to even step foot into place. And a lot of local people who probably have it. So uh, it's a good chance to get out there. I, I can vouch for it. It's a, it's a great place to watch a baseball game. Uh, and, you know, they've improved it even since last year. I know they've added another concession stand out in the uh, outfield behind center field and some restrooms out there. So they're still uh, still kind of tweaking things to make it a better fan experience. But nothing quite makes a fan experience as good as if it's a good team. And the Gators were good last year, but they really, really stumbled at the end, left kind of a sour taste in a, a lot of people's mouths. And, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan and, Hunter Barco and Judd Fabian, they kind of addressed that this week. Like, yeah, that's that's motivation. You know, it's, it's in the past, but it's certainly motivation to get back out there. Uh, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan, it's hard to believe, but he's in his 15th season, wow. guys. And he's been here a long time. And one thing we know about him, uh, he always gets a lot of young talent. And I think this is going to be his youngest team out of the 36 players, 22 are freshmen. Uh, but he but he has a Judd Fabian, who's an All-American candidate in center field. He's got Hunter Barco, the left-hander, uh, starting on the mound Friday night. So, you know, he's got uh, some veteran pieces there. Uh, but it's you could tell just from talking to him that this first month of the season, it's going to be a lot of uh, just throwing guys in different situations and seeing how they respond, developing some roles and what you guys were talking about, the women's basketball team. You know, it's a team that has an identity. I don't think the skaters baseball team is going to go into the season this weekend with the true identity. I think that's what the first month of the season is going to be about. Uh, but it's certainly a talented roster and a team that's ranked number six to open the season. So the expectations are there. They're always going to be there uh, with this program. Uh, and I expect them to have a gear. You know, it's good. We're going to find a lot about uh, a lot about this group for the next month. On the softball side, Chris, you, know, you had a chance to, to preview the season as well. Uh, so far, so good for them. 5-0 and start. Then with some midweeks, they wiped out as well. Uh, what are we seeing from softball from your perspective? I'm just going to give you a name, and we'll just we'll play. We'll, we'll follow this as move on into the season. Um, Kendra Falby okay, is a freshman from down in the Tampa area, I think Odessa. And all, uh, Tim Walton <clears throat> excuse me, told me about her and about how if you look at last year, Florida – the bottom of Florida's lineup, they just struggled to turn it over to get to Hannah Adams, to get to Kendall Lindemann, to get to Charlotte Eccles at the top of that lineup. But she's she she's one of these newcomers, along with, uh, I believe, uh, uh, Skylar Wallace, who was a transfer from Alabama who sat out. She's going to play first base. And uh, Reagan Walsh, who's a freshman power hitter, uh, who have been inserted into the lineup, and Tim Walton hopes is going to give them some of these missing elements on the offensive side that the team has. You know they're going to pitch well. You know they're really going to play defense. Hannah Adams is still out there at second base, uh, believe it or not. So this this team's going to be very sound when it comes to uh, keeping uh, uh, opposing teams from scoring. They just got to they, they just got to do a better job, and he knows that uh, putting runs on the board. And this team has a chance to do that, and it had a pretty good start uh, over the weekend. 
and they'll be home this weekend. So it's one of those weekends where there's baseball and softball going on simultaneously. But now, because the stadiums are across the street from each other, a lot easier to flow from one into the other and be able to take in, in both of them over on the, the southwest side of campus. So we certainly encourage people to, to do that and get out as often as possible to support these teams. Um, one thing that may keep people from doing that is if they're like my household and super glued to the Olympics. Uh, my wife is a hardcore Olympics fan, even if they are, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Iffy. It, we'll talk about that in a second. Before we talk about the iffiness of this Olympics and the Olympic movement, uh, let's talk about Erin Jackson. A, a really interesting story in the sense that she was a gator but not a Gator athlete, because last I checked, there is no Florida speed skating team. So she is a University of Florida alum who is now an Olympic gold medalist and a historic one at that, albeit one that was not a Florida Gator athlete. So kind of a, an interesting spin on what we usually see, which is the, the Grant Holloways, the Caleb Dressels, who were Florida athletes and then take international. She came from pretty much nowhere to become an international sports star. She climbed a podium, I want to say it would have been like in maybe 2014 to get her uh, degree in material science and engineering here at Florida. And then I don't know if people saw it on social media or were watching the Olympics, but uh, it was pretty tearful, pretty cool uh, moment when she was standing on the podium getting that gold medal for winning the 500 uh, meter speed skating. First uh, uh, American to win to win that event since Bonnie Blair in 1994. What were you like? Were you even born, Adam, back then? I, w I was six. I was six. You were six. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's fine. Um, this is a, a young lady who was a uh, inline skater, as in the dry stuff, <laughs> and then uh, and then and you know speed skating inline, and then did a little roller derby. She was a good roller derby person for uh, for uh, a team up there in Jacksonville. I guess it was the Jacksonville Roller Girls. I think they're called. And then she decided to try uh, try ice skating, and lo and behold, she obviously became very good at it, and. Everyone knows the story by now. She she was in the Olympic trials in Milwaukee and, and took a spill and was not going to go to the Olympics until uh, a teammate and a friend uh, who did qualify in, in that same uh, 500 meters gave up her spot for her. I don't know how all that works uh, with Olympic rules and what have you, but it was uh, uh, quite a gesture uh, by her teammate. Uh, to do that. And um, Aaron Jackson obviously didn't, didn't waste that opportunity. And you could tell from the emotion that was uh, coming from her after winning that gold medal, that it was certainly something that she not only took advantage of it, but uh, she immersed herself in that moment. It was kind of cool actually. And, you know, the university of Florida has its first gold medal in the winter Olympics. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I, yeah, no, she's not a Gator. Like you said, she's a Gator, but she wasn't a Gator athlete, but mm -hmm. you know, we claimed it. That's why we wrote about it on FloridaGators.com. We'll claim it anyway. You, you alluded to uh, how the rules work there, Chris, to where she could have the spot her teammate gave up. And that sort of gets at the, the heart of this week's PAT, which is really about the state of the, the Olympics right now and the degree to which we still hold them in high regard relative to the realities of doping that have become very apparent in the last decade or so, uh, the degree to which totalitarian rule is now smiled upon with the Olympics. They're almost exclusively going to countries with dictators where there are serious human rights abuse issues. Uh, obviously, the most recent scandal involves the Russian figure skater who is likely to win gold, um, but then will not be able to get the gold medal because they're going to continue investigating and maybe she'll get it down the road. Maybe she won't. 
it's created a, a serious credibility issue for the Olympics. I don't know for anyone who watched the actual uh, women's program that happened on Tuesday, the commentators didn't say anything the entire time. They almost silently protested the fact that she was even skating. Um, so all of this to say for for two people who I know have followed the Olympics for a very long time, what do we make of, of the Olympics as they are today, their credibility, and do they still hold the same cachet, if you will, when there are all of these questions of legitimacy that are surrounding them? You know, the Inter- International Olympic Committee has been rife with scandal ever since I've been aware of the Olympics. I mean, every four years... There's always some kind of scandal. A lot of times it's doping. A lot Every of times, two years. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it's the politics that go into awarding these cities, the Olympics. Obviously, this one seems especially loaded down with, I guess, just bad news cycle, whether it's the doping scandal involving the uh, skater that you're talking about, uh, whether it's the human rights uh, record that China has, uh, you know, you could go on and on. I mean, as far as the event itself, I mean, I've always been more of a summer Olympics person. I do tend to gravitate toward those. Uh, never been a huge Winter Olympics person except for hockey. And, of course, the U.S. hockey teams has got knocked out. So my interest has even dipped lower now. But it, I just, in relation to this, this skater, I mean, I just don't understand the reasoning there. Uh, what's the win there for the Olympics by allowing her to uh, there is none, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know what kind of pressure, what kind of politics is going on there, but it, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And quite frankly, I probably cannot remember any Olympics I've paid less attention to winter or summer than these. I know it's a little different than maybe your household. If it wasn't for the Erin Jackson story and her connection to UF, I probably wouldn't have any connection to this Olympics. Having said that, I was really into the summer Olympics. Uh, back at you a few months ago with all the Gator connections. Also, I'm a, I'm just a Summer Olympics fan. So I don't know if I'm the best person to opine on all this because, I, quite frankly, I, I've, just, I've just lost my taste for the Winter Olympics so, uh, for a lot of reasons this year. I don't know if it can be fixed, but I, I, I heard a – or I read on, on Twitter some guys so – it's an interesting take. He said, he said why, why should I care if – some guys like banging uh, steroids into his body and if he's going to die, you know, 20 years from now at, at the age of 40 some, um, uh, he wants to see, he wants to see an eight second hundred meter dash. Somebody run that, or he wants to see someone deadlift or, 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 or bench press, you know, 800 pounds or whatever. And, and it, it could be like um, watching uh, uh, Ivan Drago in real life, you know, like we'll, like we'll pretend Sylvester Stone wasn't doing steroids during that time also, <laughs> by the way. No, no, but just, just open up all the doors uh, and let them do that. Now, I don't agree with that take, but that was, if I mean, the fact that somebody can even say that because it's, it, it's so ridiculous that this stuff is even allowed to happen. Am, am I correct? Uh, this person is allowed to skate. And again, I, ha- I haven't been watching a lot, a lot like that. This person is allowed to skate, but can't meddle. And there's some kind of team medal, right? The team won gold, but then all of this came out. So they have canceled the medal ceremony, which means (laughs) at some point in the future, they will either ship them a gold medal or the U.S. will get the gold medal because they finished in silver position. And if she is going to be on the podium, 
then the medal ceremony is canceled. And again, they'll just uh, they'll be FedExing medals in a few months when they litigate this. So it it, it robs everyone else of a of an opportunity to live out their Olympic dream because of this one individual who tested positive. Doesn't sound like the Olympics to me, does it? It also robbed the U.S. figure skaters from their medals. I'm reading this story here. IOC President Thomas Bach offered U.S. figure skaters Olympic torches as holdover gifts while they await a resolution of the Russian doping case. Mm. So, I mean, this this has this really has become just kind of a circus act. But that's my question. That's and Chris, I would ask you this. You said that doesn't sound like the Olympics to me. But is this what the Olympics is now? I guess that's the core of my question. Is is this what it has become? I mean, this this seems to me to be a little... When we've heard doping scandals before, the person, whether it's Marion Jones or Ben Johnson, or um, I'm sure there's some others uh, just off the top of my head. I mean, those people have been banned. They, they, yeah. they, didn't, get, they didn't get medals. What, what is this? What, what are we doing here? We're FedExing medals and... Yeah. Um, are you are you FedExing the country's national anthem to him too? I mean, what? I, I, <laughs> it's the same I don't, telegram. There's something not not right here. And and to Scott's point, uh, uh, I think the first thing he said was, "This has been going on for a long, long time." But this just seems a little over the top to me about what what they're allowing them to do and what kind of maybe stipulations they're doing to maybe uh, uh, accommodate certain people. And if this is the new Olympics, Adam, if this is what it is from here going forward, uh, a couple of things jump into mind. First, have you seen the viewership numbers, how far they've dropped? They're very bad, yes. They're very, so a couple of things. NBC shouldn't have to pay, or they won't be paying all these uh, high-priced deals for these sponsorships. That's going to lose a lot of money for the IOC, and they'll be taken less and less seriously. You know, who cares? So if this is the, the way they're going they're not, they're not going to be the Olympics for much longer as we know them. And maybe they're already past that, you know? I think it's a great point. And I think it's it's obviously sad, but it's the most realistic way to look at it is this is the way things have been trending. And if, if they don't get reversed in the near future, then like other things that don't adapt, they will, they will fade away. Um, one thing that will not fade away is a very, very busy weekend of Florida Gator action, which these guys will both be covering. Tons of stuff happening on campus, basketball, baseball, softball, everything is happening. This is one of those those big ticket weekends in Gainesville. So make sure to stay locked on to FloridaGators.com to follow all the action uh, and check out these guys at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris on Twitter. They will keep you posted as things happen in real time. Uh, and of course, there'll be a lot for us to talk about next week on our 300th show. So we look forward to talking to you guys then. Thank you so much. Do we get a medal for the 300th show? It gets FedEx to you. Yeah, oh, okay. it, check the mail in a few months. It'll get it'll get there. All right, All right. thanks, Adam. <laughs> and, and 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 somebody will sing um, uh, the Gator fight song. <laughs> After the unlucky timing of opening the sparkling new Florida ballpark in a pandemic-altered 2021 season, the Gators are ready for a proper debut in front of a packed house this weekend against Liberty. That's one of many storylines topping the list for the 2022 campaign, and baseball broadcaster Jeff Cardozo caught up with Kevin O'Sullivan to cover them all. My favorite time of the year as uh, Gator Baseball gets going. Joining me now is Kevin O'Sullivan, the head coach of this Florida baseball team. And Nacely, uh, another year, another uh, time to get going again. I'm sure you're really excited about tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always exciting. The first game of the year, first series, and it's um, 
you know, I think the biggest thing is going out there playing against somebody else. It's been a while since we've obviously done that. So looking forward to playing a really good Liberty team. They're ranked in the top 25, made the regional final last year, um, have an older lineup, have three transfers in their lineup that are older, and they get back, um, you know, three older starting pitchers, and I guess some guys in the bullpen. So it'll be, you know, certainly be a challenge for us. Yeah, um, and not, obviously not the, the easiest way to start because you're still trying to find out and, and understand about your team. And you know, the opening weekend's always weird. I mean, you've had guys that have been all Americans that have really struggled opening weekend. So I don't know if you get a good gauge, but it's just a, an opportunity for guys to go out and, like you said, play against somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I can go back to I used the example the other day with our with our pitching staff, Alex Fajardo. In 17, who's arguably one of the best pitchers ever pitched here at Florida, he had two bad starts the entire year. One was opening weekend against William & Mary, and the next one was against Auburn, first SEC road game um, or road series. So and so it, it, it does affect everybody in a certain way. Um, but at the same time, you know, the guys in the other dugout, you know, you know have the same type of anxiety too. So I, I, w- I would hope that we'd be able to settle in. I think it would be important at least the first couple of games we got on the board early and maybe take some pressure off of our, our young pitching. Looking at our pitching staff, I just was just going through it. We have 14 eligible pitchers this weekend. You know, obviously we'll get back Nick Pogue and, and, and Tyler Nesbitt in the beginning of March. But out of the 14 pitchers, 11 of the 14, believe it or not, have had zero collegiate experience or very limited SEC experience. So we're, we're young. We're talented. But it's, it's certainly going to be – Interesting and exciting to get those guys out there this weekend and see how they do. And with all that, you, you do have a, a true number one and, and Hunter, you know, certainly a guy that's gotten a lot of accolades. And you know, I think mentally he's probably ready for this. And, you know, all, obviously the success over the years that you've had, you've had that, that number one guy. And do you think uh, he has the ability to do that this year? Yeah, I certainly do. I think the biggest thing for him, like anybody else, is to manage the pitch counts. And we've spent a lot of time, you know, talking about that, of trying to throw 15 pitches or less per inning. Obviously, it's hard sometimes for these number one guys to go out there and, and do that because they're usually high pitch count guys because they're strikeout guys. But, you know, for him, you know, like the two out walks and, you know, things that don't really show up on the scoreboard, you know, but may limit him from getting through six full on opening weekend or the first couple weekends because he gets to his pitch count and inning earlier. So trying to manage that pitch count is the biggest thing for him. But he's had a great preseason. He's had a really good fall and. I would expect him to give us a chance to win every time out. Well, and obviously that's the goal. Um, and, you know, in, in order to win, you know, you've got to change things. And, and year after year, you've always done that. Even the really successful years, you you make some changes, you figure it out, and, and you try to do stuff ne- for, for next year. And, you know, I think when you look at it, now the rest of the guys in this rotation, you didn't necessarily have a bunch of lefties last year. And, you know, that's probably something that you address in the offseason. You got some good ones, and it looks like a, a couple will be in the rotation this weekend. Yeah, you know, it, it just worked out that way. You know, I think coming into the spring – kind of had an idea who might be the starters and and quite honestly it changed over the last month five weeks and really I said this the other day to the media the you know the only fair way to make decisions on whether you know who's who's in the starting lineup on opening day or you know who's who's the three starters is you just base it off of performance and practice and you try to try to make these decisions you know you know without taking you know, a lot of other stuff into account. And you look at the numbers and you look at the performances and you just try to make decisions based on what each player has done, you know, to either earn or not earn, you know, a spot in a lineup or, or a spot in rotation. And it could stay this way for a while or it can change. But at the, at the end of the day, 
you know, you try to treat each player the same and equally. And if you earn a spot, you earn a spot. And we've always preached that. So, you know, we'll go with Timmy Manning on Saturday. He certainly earned it. I'd be really surprised if he doesn't go out and pitch well on Saturday, the way he's been pitching, not only in the spring, but in the fall. And then Pierce Coppola. So we're going to have, you know, a freshman lefty on Sunday. And so I, in all my years here, this is my 15th year, I don't think we've, well, I don't think we've ever had three lefty starters on a weekend. So we'll see how it looks. Um, and plus, we still got two more lefties in the pen with Abner and um, Finvold. So we've got five talented lefties. And, you know, just for us, at least opening weekend, we'll start with three lefties on the weekend. Yeah, and Gator fans have seen Barco and certainly a little bit of Timmy Manning. So, uh, so for Pierce, you know, what are they going to expect? I mean, I'm sure some comparisons to, to AJ from back in the day. But you know, just the, the times that I've been able to watch him, it just seems like for that big old frame, like he repeats his delivery well. He does a really nice job. Yeah, people will, people will obviously make the comparisons to AJ, and um, the the thing with Pierce is he is, is like you said, he repeats his delivery. His his coordination skills for being so tall are are really really impressive, and he throws a ton of strikes. He like most freshmen, he'll make some, he'll have a leadoff walk, and you pull your hair out a little bit, or he'll give up an O two hit because you know he doesn't bury a slider or leaves a fastball out over the plate. But he's also got a chance to strike out a bunch of guys. I mean, there was one outing in this early part of the spring where he struck out nine nine hitters of our own um, in three innings. So every every batter he faced, every out he recorded was a strikeout. So he's got a different fastball. It's got a different gear. Obviously, being six foot eight, six foot nine, it gets on the hitters in a hurry. And he is ninety two, ninety five. So it's not like he's he's deceptively, you know, deceptive at ninety. I mean, he's got a legitimate, you know, plus fastball and his. Change is improving, um, and his slider is improving. So, uh, you know, he, he his ceiling, he's, he hasn't even tapped his full potential. So, But he's a freshman, so we'll see. But he's certainly talented enough to get the opportunity to start on Sunday. Yeah, did a little Twitter thing with the, the Fabian brothers earlier this week, and both of them said that he probably had the, the best stuff out of anybody on the staff. So that's uh, certainly some high accolades. And you, know, you, you had some high accolades with this, this freshman class. Pierce, of course, a part of that. Derek, a part of that, um, but it's almost like you got a, a stud recruit and getting Judd back, and that had to be pretty unique. I know every year you struggle with, gosh, are these guys going to come to campus? Are they not? And you know, I'm sure you didn't expect him to be back in a Gator uniform and uh, probably smiling when you get to run him's name on the lineup in center field. No doubt. I mean, you know, I've I've always said this in recruiting. Everybody talks about the newcomers, but some you know sometimes, and certainly in this case, your best recruit is the ones that come back. Yeah. And Judd certainly is our best recruit. We're fortunate enough to get him back. And, you know, I think in looking at our team defensively, we feel really good behind the plate. We've got three really capable catchers, and we've got Josh back at short and, and Colby back at second, and you got Judd in center. So up the middle, it's as good as we've been when we've had really good teams. So getting Judd back is certainly a big part of that. Well, and Kendrick, too, another veteran guy, and Chris comes back. So there are some older guys on this team to kind of counter all those young guys you have. No doubt, no doubt. It's like a... It's 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 a different roster because the pitching is young, but the position players are a little bit older. So, um, I think it's important for us early in the year is to hopefully we can score some runs, and hopefully take a little bit of pressure off some of these young pitchers. Um, but unfortunately for us, we're playing such a good opponent mm-hmm. that the games will probably be fairly close, and and some of these young freshmen are gonna you know be put into situations that are gonna be a little bit difficult. So it'd be a great learning experience for them. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of opportunities to put them into games where, you know, it's a seven or eight run ball game. I wouldn't expect as long as we play play well, and I, I assume Liberty's going to play well. So I mean, 
you know, some of these pitchers are going to have to learn, and they're going to have to learn to hurry, and hopefully there'll be more positive outings this weekend than, than bad ones, but we'll obviously we'll wait and see. A lot of Gator fans saw bits and pieces of what Sterling Thompson can do last year. And, um, you know, I think that jump from maybe freshman to sophomore year and starting to figure some stuff out, you've got to be pretty excited about what you have in right field. Yeah, I mean, he's he's probably been our best overall hitter, at least consistently, um, in the fall and in the spring. I mean, he's, I mean, his, his ability to drive the ball to all parts of the field, his two-strike approach has been outstanding. He handles lefties. He's handling off-speed pitches way better. You know, I, he's, he's got a chance to have a really, really, really big year for us. Um, third base, it looks like Derek's won the job as a freshman, so there's the, the one guy in there. Um, you know, obviously really good success in, in high school, but coming in and, you know, Judd being around the program, I'm sure Derek was around a bunch and, and watching games and stuff. That that has to be unique, too, just to, you know, a guy that's been hanging around and then can come in here. And I, I know you just didn't hand him the job. He certainly earned it. No, he did. I say that all the time. He did not earned a third base job because, you know, because of his last name. I mean, he came in and he earned it. And, you know, he'll hit at the bottom of the lineup, you know, because we've got some depth and some older guys. He's going to, you know, you know we're going to ask him to do quite a few things offensively. You know, the drag and the push game, the hit run. He's going to have to do all the little things, you know, to help us, you know, um, score runs. But certainly defensively, he's really, really good over there at third base. Well, that's uh, that role is something that JY had uh, last year. So you don't get him back, but you maybe got that one outfield spot that uh, you're trying to figure it out. I know some really talented freshmen, but you know there, there's a dude from just up the road in Trenton that can uh, really swing it. Yeah, I mean, it, we put him out there in the fall. Um, I think last year he, he he probably could have gotten a lot more at bats for us, but we just couldn't find a place for him on the field, and and the DH spot was taken up, obviously. So trying to be a little bit more creative with him and. He's worked really, really hard on his body. He runs way better than people think. He'll hit some ground balls short, and it's always bang, bang. I mean, he runs a 4-2 down the line, and um, he was not that type of player, you know, when, when he came in here. He was he was bigger and, you know, bulkier, but he's really leaned up and put himself in a really good spot. But, you know, he's strong as a bull. We'll probably hit him towards the bottom of the lineup just because to kind of get him acclimated to playing all the time. We got some guys that have a little bit more experience. I don't expect him to to hit the bottom of the order for the entire year, um, or for very long if he continues to swing the bat like he is. But right now, I just I just like to protect him. Hopefully, get him off to a good start, and um, and and kind of see you know where it goes from there. And it's fifty six games. It's a long season. Then hopefully more uh, as the postseason continues. But you know, Sully, I'm, I'm sure you, you've had a few headaches here and there. You sit down, you look at the schedule, and talked about Liberty this weekend. You go to Coral Gables in a couple of weeks, but then you know that top twenty five rolls out there, and just about every opponent you have in the league is uh, is a part of that. So, but I mean, you know, that doesn't surprise you. I'm sure you know how this league is in college baseball. Yeah, it's just the best league in the country, most competitive and. It's just it, you know every every team is recruiting at a high level. They're getting high end talent to bypass the draft. Um, you know the venues you play in are difficult. I mean, so it's nothing new, but it certainly does make it challenging. And you know we we've always seemed to put together a really quality you know schedule. Obviously, we're situated geographically to where our RPI is always going to be good because of our midweek games playing against quality opponents. Obviously, we got the three games against Miami down there this year, like you said. We have the three midweeks against Florida State again. And then, you know, you talk about the South Floridas and JUs and uh, and the other teams in our state, you know, that are traditionally regional-type teams. And Stetson, you know, they've mm-hmm. improved greatly over the last couple of years. I mean, so, 
you know, it's it opened up with Liberty, who's a top 25 team. We got to the regional final last year, like I said, at Tennessee. So it'll be a very challenging schedule, but it, it, it always is. And um, it'll be good for our young players to see this, and then hopefully, you know, they'll get accustomed or used to the, you know, the level and consistency that, you know, that they're going to have to play and pitch at to be successful. It's amazing just to, in the time that you've been here, and we've gotten to know each other, how things have changed from just this sport. Um, you know, I'm sitting here interviewing on my phone, and we didn't even have that back back in the day. So just in general, I mean, just the, the, the tools that you guys have and the metrics and the analytics and everything else, but it's got to be pretty exciting just to know how many games are on television and how the sport of college baseball now with, with D1 baseball and just ESPN Plus has really grown into really a national thing. Well, I think, every, you know, Ever since the SEC network came into play, and then like you said, D one baseball, you know, has taken over college baseball as far as from a you know from a media standpoint. Um, it's just changed our sport. It's and it's certainly changed the SEC. It's, it's given us a chance to be seen nationally. It helps us recruiting out of state too. I mean, you get a kid from you know like like Pierce from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. His parents, even though they might not be able to come down and watch him pitch every weekend. They get a chance to see every game on TV, whether it be on you know one of the SEC networks or um, or ESPN or, or or ESPN two or whatever it might be, um, or the SEC plus. I mean, so it, it gives it, it the, the the visibility and the ability of people from all around the country to see you know teams in our league play. You know, helps in so many different ways. Well, and you mentioned the stadiums too. It's just it's it's fascinating because you look at this park, the Florida ballpark that you guys have now, and you know full capacity this year, which I think will be great. But you know th- these are better than minor league parks. So like when when you're even talking to kids probably to come here, you can say that you can say all these great advantages of what the SEC has in this great ballpark and the education and nutritionists and and all these things. So it's almost like a reward to to come to college sometimes now as as opposed to to going right in the draft. Yeah, I mean, you sign out of high school, it may be four or five years down the road until you play into a a, a, a place like we have here um, and other places in our league. So that certainly helps. You know, people have asked me over, you know, quite a bit, you know, the new stadium, does it help in recruiting? Well, it certainly doesn't hurt, but we've always recruited well here mm-hmm. and had a lot more to do than just the stadium. Had to do with our program, you know, the academic excellence that we have and being a top five public university in the country and a beautiful campus and that type of thing. But... I think the one thing it does certainly help is is getting guys to school and it gives them a real tangible you know daily facility for them to work and and improve their game and it gives them you know the best of the best as far as preparing them for the next level. Well, it's going to be a fun opening weekend. So you mentioned the opponent and, and what Liberty has, but I think just from from a marketing standpoint, it's going to be cool to uh, to see Brady come back throughout the first pitch Saturday. Zanino is going to be here Sunday, and then uh, Billy Napier, new football coach, will uh, get things going tomorrow night. I know um, I was down at the Marlins game when you threw out the first pitch. Are you going to have some advice for uh, for Coach Napier? I told I was teasing the other day. I said it's not as easy as it looks, so you, you might want to do a little bit of practice. Um, but uh, no, it should be a great weekend. Excited about Billy throwing that first pitch, and and our fans too, and, and and getting a chance to see Brady and Mike come back, and and their families. And we got, I think we've got quite a few ex players coming back this weekend, so it should be really fun that way. Yeah, always fun. Well, Sully, appreciate the time. Um, wish the best of luck. I know, you know, you don't have to give the uh, the win one for the Gipper speech. I think the, these guys are ready to play somebody else. So just uh, go out there and do your thing. Yeah, I think just fans just need to know that you know it's a long season, and certainly. How you start is not how you start; it's how you finish. And you know, there's going to be there's there's going to be a learning curve here, and hopefully, the learning curve is is 
is a short one. But the fact of the matter is, is we have some youth on the mound and they'll have to figure it out. But, you know, hopefully, you know, the talent will come to the forefront as we go along. And um, but I, I'm really excited to get some of these young pitchers out there, see what they can do and and, and see their improvement as we go along. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at floridagators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.